John Constantine, the man who perfected the bad idea. The only reason I came to this dung heap of a casino is to find a relic to keep that monster locked away forever. Boys, boys, you're boring me. Let's play, shall we? Oh, but our next group of friends is due to arrive, so it's time to bust you out. <laughs> Copperfield's coming. Presto change Woman in a box. In a box. Oh, he's classy, unlike you. Are they implying David Copperfield, television magician, has true power? Owns a chain of islands and dated Claudia Schiffer. What do you think? Darkness to Light, hosted by Emily and Alan Middleton. We aim to explore what takes place at the corner of theology and geekology. Episode 13, Justice League Dorkness. Welcome to episode 13 of Dorkness to Light. This is our show where we take a look at pop culture in terms of where those stories intersect with concepts in religion, faith, theology, and spirituality. And in this episode, we are going back to the founding of Dorkness to Light (laughs) with this one. Our idea for this podcast came about after we took about a 15-minute detour on an episode of Shortbox Showcase in order to talk about the cosmology and theology of the DC Universe. We came back to that a little bit in episode two with mm-hmm. our discussion of the Spectre, but we are now here again going to talk about that with Justice League Dark. A.K.A. Constantine and his amazing friends. And we're going to talk a little bit about the New 52 comic book of that name, and then also talk about the direct-to-DVD animated feature that came out earlier in 2017. And you know our position on spoilers. We will spoil if it adds to the discussion of the episode. In terms of the movie, there is one twist that we will not mention. I know that some people will believe that the fact that there is a twist in the movie somewhere, we'll consider that fact a spoiler. So, so con- consider yourself fairly thoroughly spoiled. Now, when the New 52 rolled around, we actually took that as a jumping on point. Mm-hmm. We know that was not true for everyone. <laughs> and we enjoyed the bits of it that we read, although we admit we read out of the mainstream. The two that we subscribe to... All-Star Western and Demon Knights. And then when we were hearing good things about some of the other Dark-related books, like Dark Justice League Dark. Yes, uh, or Animal Dark Man. (laughs) We, We heard good things about those and picked those up in trades. So we read through Justice League Dark in trades. And it was one where the first couple of trades, Peter Milligan was mostly involved with those, were really good. Jeff Lemire and a few others came in for the next couple of trades, and they were almost as good. They were 
They were getting a little more into events and crossovers by the time the third or fourth trade, fifth trade were coming Unfortunately, out. Unfortunately. There we were some Forever Evil and some of the other ones in those. Eh. And we were kind of being dragged back into the mainstream DC yeah. universe rather against our will. So those guys and Ray Fox, I mean, they did a fine job with what they had. But those sort of the cards that they were dealt were a little less positive for us, mm-hmm. I think. But what I liked about the book is the rotating cast of characters. Mm-hmm. You had Constantine at the core at, Hilariously, of the book. hilariously, as the team leader. Let's all just take a moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Zatanna would come in and out. Black Orchid showed up about halfway through and had some important appearances. But mm-hmm. Swamp Thing and Dead Man was basically a who's who. Of the DC spiritual line. Didn't they even roll in at one point one of your books that you quite enjoyed before it was canceled, the Frankenstein Agent of Shade? Yes. And I think I think Frank showed up for right. two issues or so and, and filled in for Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. It really did kind of have like a classic Justice League or Justice right. League International kind of vibe. With that where sort of r- would come rotating cast. It was, it was, I thought it was one of the more enjoyable takes. And it was, I think it was in the books that they introduced the concept of Constantine being tied to the House of Mystery. Yes. I don't think that was a pre-existing, no, pre no, pre-new 52 thing. It was yeah, a, that was a, a thing was, that they introduced for that particular series, that he won the house in a card game. And it, it was, I will admit, a bit Doctor Who-ish, because he didn't have a great relationship with the house, and the house would occasionally not listen to him and drop him in random places. And it would change shape, and it was... It was bigger on the inside. Hey, if you're going to rip off something, rip off something hey, good. there you go. I know a lot of the classic Constantine fans from the Hellblazer <laughs> days were not a fan of the way that John was mm. characterized in that series. So very much, I think it was, I think it was Andy Leyland who called him uh, plain clothes Doctor Strange. And I'm like, yeah. I, got, I get that. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that's a legitimate, a legitimate complaint. Um, but I think that there was there was definitely some good things that were introduced into mm-hmm. the sort of Constantine-ish mythos, which could then, I think, be better used later on right. by other things. So, yeah. for example, the House of Mystery mm-hmm. being tied to him is what gave us the Mill House in the Constantine TV show. Right. You can sort of see certain aspects kind of being echoed or referenced and i think that the justice league dark had more positives than negatives Mm -hmm. certainly there were some big missteps and there were some bad decisions being made but there was a lot of good stuff i think our favorite thing definitely your favorite thing (laughs) john's relationship with boston yes i'm a big fan of dead man i think it's probably because of the neil adams art in those original stories Featuring Boston, featuring Dead Man, those iconic early 70s covers. So it was early in my life as a comics reader that I found Dead Man, and it was early in his life. His own life? As a character that I found him. So he he's one of those fringy DC characters for me. You know, Man Bat and a few others fit into this category. That you're just always glad to see them show up. And I know that there will be long gaps between their appearances. <laughs> yes. 
They are. They are the G team. They are, yes. An eye-level hero, is that something? So I like Dead Man, and he and John had a... Contentious? Contentious, interesting friendship, and of course, the Alan Moore connection. John and Swamp Thing have a interesting bromance as well. I just always love John's relationship with Swamp Thing because it is always so tenuous and difficult because he is such a bastard. And let's be honest, Swampy has relatively good taste in people and is actually a quite solid judge of character. So the fact that he continues to associate with John sort of baffles himself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I just, there's, there's just something about their respect for each other that I really, I really enjoy. And I like them being more friend than enemy. Yeah. But again, that's a thing that comes and goes with mm-hmm. the continuity, with the writer. But I just, I, I like them running in the same circles. So when they were kicking around a Justice League Dark real life movie. Mm-hmm. With Guillermo del Toro. Theoretically supposedly attached to it, as he is theoretically supposedly <laughs> attached to almost every film. That one interested me a lot. Yes. And like you said, many things, Del Toro, end up falling apart. But I'm glad that they were exploring and considering. So when they got around to the Justice League Dark animated... We were definitely that was interested. That was interesting. We were ready for that. And then when they threw in Matt Ryan as Constantine, then that sort of sealed it for us. And it seems like... There's a sense, if you didn't like the closure, the lack, the, of, the, the, the lack of closure in the Constantine TV series after episode 13, you can interpret the Justice League Dark animated film as, being as the in, season finale in, of that. An incontinuity continuation, mm-hmm. um, which has a significantly better ending. <laughs> Well, for one thing, they knew there was going to be an ending. Okay, yes. That helped. And Justice League Dark is an R-rated animated movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Just so you know. Yes. If that squicks anybody, be advised. There is a lot of British swearing. (laughs) A little bit of American swearing. A bit of American swearing. Lots of boobs. Mostly clothed, but not... Black Orchid is an interesting character with a very, very tight <laughs> costume design. So be advised. Uh, and there is a poop monster. So Okay, that was not my favorite part. I'm going to admit that was not my favorite part of the movie. Probably a solid, a solid low point. <laughs> solid low point. The uh, movie, if this matters to you, if you don't think this is part of the uh, Marvel-Disney conspiracy... The movie does sit at 71% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. So there you go. And like almost every DC animated movie, it runs 75 minutes. I heard one of the writers talk about this a few years ago. He said they did the math. The cost to produce any of these animated films, between the the script and the voice talent, and mostly the the computer uh, rendering, and the space on the dvd versus the price that they're able to sell them at that 75 or 76 minutes is the perfect perfect break even perfect point. length and if you look at your dc animated movies almost everyone fits darn close 
to that time frame. If it goes longer, it gets more expensive. If it goes too much shorter, people won't purchase it because it doesn't seem like a movie. So as we said, this is firmly in New 52 continuity, and the last, I'm just guessing, dozen or so of the DC animated movies fit into that category. Mm-hmm. The, the Throne of Atlantis and Justice, Justice League War, War, all of those fit. Um, Gods and Monsters. It's, 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 very, it's very much early New 52. So I am curious, now that the comics have left behind New 52, if next year we're going to get a rebirth story, whether the animation will follow or whether they'll just continue that path and come up with new stories in the continuity that they have. So I get the feeling that they probably won't, I would guess, won't be doing an actual rebirth animated movie, though I would actually be quite interested in they it. They did a Flashpoint animated movie. They did do a Flashpoint, but I get the feeling that they are probably more likely going to just say, rebirth happened and now we can tell different types right. of stories. And right. there will just be sort of a... And wink and a nod. A wink and a nod. They're just going to be in that continuity without, without explaining, explaining it. how. Yeah. That's fine. That would be fine. That's what I hope anyway. Yeah. Just because by the time they make a Rebirth movie, who knows? We might have had another Rebirth. <laughs> Don't say that. But yes, it's possible. So we have a very brief synopsis of the movie. This does not explain any plot points. This simply tells you who was in the movie, and basically what they're doing. So we'll start there, and then we'll talk about what we liked about it, what we didn't like, etc. When innocent citizens start committing nightmarish crimes across Metropolis, Gotham City, and Washington, D.C., the Justice League suspects an otherworldly source. Magic. Or as Batman says, magic. What is the line that Batman says most often in this movie that you figured out? Oh, it's uh, my favorite line, and it's... Hmm... That's pretty much Batman's approach to magic. Now, this is the guy who fought the Mad Monk in the late 1930s, who was sort of a vampire, but also sort of a werewolf. Come on. Batman should not be surprised by this. No, I, see, I think he's less surprised, uh, than more just, just annoyed. annoyed. Yeah, okay, okay. Fair enough, fair enough. Thus, the race is on as Batman seeks the help of the one man who can stand up against the dark, John Constantine. While usually an arrogant loner, even Constantine soon learns that defeating these dark powers will take the mystical teamwork of Zatanna, Deadman, Etrigan the Demon, and a wild card that even he is hesitant to call upon... Swamp Thing. I am very much amused by the inclusion of Batman in the Mm -hmm. Justice League Dark, because of course you need to have Batman in it, because then it'll sell 5% higher and you need (laughs) to recoup the cost of your animation. Put him on the DVD cover in the same way that Assault on Arkham was really a Suicide Squad movie. But if you called it Batman Assault on Arkham, you could sell 7.5% more units. So, yes. But I think that he is well used in the movie. In that his job is literally just to stand in the background and say, I'm getting too old for this. But of the mainstream characters, I think Wonder Woman... Was yes. probably the best Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman have sizable roles. And the movie does open with each one of them on their respective home turfs, encountering seeing weird things, encountering situations, things. people 
suddenly going insane. I shout out to the Metropolis one for being possibly oh. the most horrifying thing I have ever seen in an animated feature because it is so realistic. A man in the suburbs of Metropolis goes insane and is holding his entire family at shotgun point. And you see from his perspective what he sees, this horrifying Cthuloid mass of eyes and gnashing teeth that keeps saying, it's us, we're your family, you need to calm down. And he, him just screaming, you you ate my family and I'm going to kill you and I'm going to do my duty and I'm going to protect my neighborhood. And Superman shows up and snaps his shotgun in half. And the guy keeps screaming, look at them, look at them. They're monsters just like the rest. Mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. go out into his shed and there's just corpses everywhere. He uh, was working his way through the neighborhood and ended at his family. Yeah, and it... And Superman's face when he sees this is just quality. That quality. Is, that is earning the R rating in a serious way, not in a let's throw in our F bombs that we have to right here to make sure we get the R. That was a legitimately That was a legitimate R. rated R moment. It was horrific. I did like that there's sort of one bonus in order to represent the league, hmm. that it is the big three. And then Green Lantern, John Stewart, yes. Green Lantern, mm-hmm. uh, which is amazing because once they start putting this together. So, for example, Superman's Superman's thing is that's horrifying, but it is reasonable. Like this could be explained. Right. Same thing with Wonder Woman and Batman. That Wonder Woman, there's a, a a woman goes crazy in traffic and just starts mowing down pedestrians. Mm-hmm. Batman's I actually quite enjoyed just for the the imagery. It was very gothic and cool. Um, a teen mother holding a baby, standing mm. on top of a cathedral, getting ready to throw it off the roof. And Batman tries to talk her down. And she just turns and looks at him and says, I have to. I've given birth to the devil. And you see what she is seeing. Right. Again, just like this screaming monstrosity. And she throws the baby off the roof. And so Batman dives after it. And then right after he dives off the roof, she jumps. Yep. It's terrible, and it's awful, but that can be explained. Mm -hmm. But it's once everyone gets back to the watchtower and starts realizing how many of these things are happening, how many people are suddenly going insane and committing these horrific deeds with Mm -hmm. no prior mental illnesses, no prior criminal offenses, that they start thinking there might be something up. Nothing else makes sense, except... It's got to be something. Forces. It's got to be something supernatural. And John Stewart's line for this is fantastic. He says, "Really, the one time that Jordan's off planet, <laughs> and I'm filling in for him, it can't just be a big hairy monster. No, no, no. It's got to be some supernatural nonsense that I am so not equipped to handle." He doesn't say it, but he's thinking, "Demons. Why does it always have to be demons?" I dug that a lot. I, of course, Batman just being really, and Superman kind of going like, we know that this happens. And Wonder Woman being like, yeah, Bruce, how about you chill? How about you maybe check yourself? Batman just gets up and is like, I'm out. No, we just, we just need, we just need more feet on the street. It's totally fine. And then he goes back to Wayne Manor, goes into the bathroom and the mirror gets all like fogged up. And then he looks up at it and somebody, Boston, has just written Constantine. 
in the uh, in the steam of his mirror, and he looks at it and is like, no. <laughs> Goes back into his bedroom, and someone has written all over the walls, Constantine. Q intro, which does very much evoke the TV show. Circles and fire and magic, and it's got sort of a sort of sound alike for the Constantine theme. I dug it. I dug it very much. And then we just start figuring out this mystery, unraveling the mystery. Constantine and Jason Blood at one point are in Vegas. Play poker against some demons. Constantine wins, but. What's the demon's reaction? Ah, you cheated! Oh, you cheated too. I just cheated better. Yeah, it's like, we both cheated. I just won. You're just mad that I did it better. Which, I mean, he's not wrong, but this is also why no one likes you. Yes. I actually did like as far as the assembly. Mm-hmm. Very much. It, it was Dead Man who's like, we need to get the yeah, band right. back together, which I just yes. find humorous because he's like, I just want my friends to hang out. I miss you guys. Oh, the world's ending? Excellent. We got this. I like that even though told, go find John Constantine, Batman is like, absolutely not. Who does he call Zatanna? He's like, okay, Z, what's going on? What can we do? Where is John? And she's like, I have no idea where he is. I don't want to know where he is. But eventually, she's sort of convinced, okay, fine. Three of us will go hop in a car, dead man, call shotgun, has to sit in the back anyway. And they end up basically driving right into the house. Yes. Constantine said, come on in, it's safe in here. Yeah, get get inside, there's a, a whirlwind trying to eat you. So, like, hop in, I guess. And they all sort of start... Exchanging information, trying to figure out what could be happening. John decides that the person that they need to go talk to is his old buddy, Richie. Now, Richie did exist in the original Hellblazer run back in the 80s, but... When it was Constantine. Yeah, (laughs) when he was British. Um, But for the TV show, they created a a different version of the character, and that is the character that they use. As with most of John's friends... He has been a casualty, Mm -hmm. and... You don't walk away from a friendship with Constantine unscathed. No. There are battle scars. uh, And so, of course, the two of them have a pretty mm, tense relationship, (laughs) but he does agree to help them out, gives them some information and some, some relics that he has access to in order to try and figure out what's going on. Actually, at Richie's house is how they run back into Jason Blood. He's looking for some He's artifacts for as well. He's looking the same stuff. He's and... trying to get separated from the demon after X hundreds of years and thinks this artifact is a way to do might, it. Might be able to do it. He's also picked up on these just waves of madness mm-hmm, that's sweeping the mm-hmm. planet and tells them that it is the result of someone named Destiny, a mad wizard named Destiny. I really dug this high fantasy Mm -hmm. demon knight's version. Right, because we went back to the origin of Jason Blood, into the Merlin times. In the the fall of Mm -hmm. Camelot, Mm -hmm. and 
we got to see the creation of mm-hmm. Etrigan the Demon as Jason Blood's mm-hmm. alter ego, the, the fusing of those two beings. And it is, in fact, related to fighting this being called Destiny, uh, who had the ability to just unleash waves of madness and then harness the suffering of mm-hmm. his of the people that he infected. And so Jason's like, clearly this dude is back somehow. So we need to figure out where he is, who's attempting to raise mm-hmm. this long banished being and stop them. They run into a couple of other big name, dark, mystical right. characters. Felix like, Faust. Yes, yes. Who, again, was also in the mm-hmm. TV show. True. They have an awesome, awesome fight. Zatanna is the only one who's a legitimate yes. threat. Let's be real. We call it Constantine and his amazing friends. It's really Zatanna and a whole bunch of idiots who get a ride in her car. She is far and away the strongest member of the team. Even once you add people like, say, Swamp Thing, who mm-hmm. helps mm-hmm. very begrudgingly. And the way that Constantine finds and call summons Swamp Thing by going to Central Park. And just and setting it on fire. Lighting bits of it on fire. He got a pretty John, great John, got a John. pretty great line of uh, Swampy! You better help us out or the posies get it! Like, <laughs> just... I did like that Arthurian take talking about the origin of Jason Blood and that's one where you think about it. Because what happens when the demon comes is that Jason takes his place in hell. Mm-hmm. That's the trade-off that Jason Blood has to decide. Is it worth summoning the demon for this? Because this is what's going to happen to me. That's the, that's the heroic choice that he's making mm-hmm. when he brings forth uh, the demon in this, in this iteration. And that's, that's intense. Yeah. And the, and the first time that the demon appears, that was not by his choice. That was uh, John throwing some uh, dominate person on Jason and making him summon Etrigan. And they yeah. talk and they talk at the end of that is like, are you insane? You don't think about any of the consequences. And John very snappily replies, oh, I think about the consequences. I did weigh the consequences. I weighed the consequences of me getting murdered and figured... It was worth it, which just sums up John Constantine so perfectly. The alternative was, I am going to die, so anything is preferable. And Jason, just like, you you have no sense of the cosmic ramifications of the things that you do. And John sort of wittily, snappily angrily replies oh no i absolutely am aware of the cosmic consequences and i choose to ignore them yeah without spoiling specific moments and beats along the way i really did like the ending okay so the ending is fantastic of course you have your big climactic battle and in the end they win but there are casualties there was a really interesting scene with swamp thing where drawing on like the original like sort of Alan Moore source material the anatomy lesson mm-hmm. where there's some conversation about 
what is Swamp Thing and Alec Holland right. died and who is this and it's he's the avatar of the greed and there's a pretty great line from Destiny once he is summoned says uh, the avatar of the green with a shameful secret he still wishes to be human mm-hmm. let me disabuse you of that notion and just rips Alec Holland's like mummified corpse out of Swamp Thing and you get to see like Swamp Thing starting to cry mm-hmm. and it's just it's, it's right. brutal yeah. and so the implication after that is you know, Swamp Thing disappears like he's not dead but Swampy's going to have to go away and think. There's some pain. There's, there's going to be, some... there's implications of sort of those couple of post-anatomy mm-hmm. lesson issues mm-hmm. of, of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing run, where Swamp Thing goes to the afterlife and meets Alec Holland and talks to Alec and sort of gets some closure for what he is and mm-hmm. isn't and used to be. But We don't get that we here. We don't get that but here, but that's, there's... That's between here and the next time we see Swamp Thing, if we ever do. This is what will have have to have happened. Similarly with the demon. When the demon is summoned, he does get some pretty epic sort of smackdowns. Because this is a rhyming demon. Right. Which I personally am a big fan of. I don't know about your feelings on Etrigan rhyming. When it's done well, I like it. And here, I did not glom onto any weird rhymes or rhymes that weren't quite that I mean, to me the rhyming worked here mm-hmm. i remember i can't remember what it was it, it was a demon annual of some kind that may have been the problem that it was oversized oh but you get the feeling at about two-thirds of the way through it the writer just the writer just said you know this isn't this really isn't working for me and you know came up with the almost rhymes and the half rhymes and the just sort of stopped trying and i never got the sense in this case that uh the person fashioning the lines for the demon ever stopped trying. I think they were all good, legitimate rhymes. And then also, as you said, there was some uh, there was some meat on those bones. Yeah, I think it definitely helped that most of the time Jason Blood has the steering wheel. Right. Etrigan only shows up a couple times, mostly to deliver a really sick burn <laughs> and, and then set someone on fire and some consequences. But when he when he shows up and is facing Destiny again, Destiny says, you know, I've had 500 years to think on what I would do were we to ever meet again. And I think I have decided on the perfect punishment. And he rips Etrigan and Jason apart. And they both collapse. So you're like, okay, this is a problem. Eventually, the team is able mm-hmm. to take down Destiny, though... Batman says, we can't do this on our own. Let's call in the Justice League. John's like, that's a bad idea. Zatanna and Batman and some of the other people that they have picked up along the way are mostly busy holding off the Justice League who are attempting (laughs) to murder Team Dark really, really hardcore. That was maybe not the greatest idea, but, but eventually... Destiny is defeated, his hold over everyone mm-hmm. fades, everyone is sort of back in their own right mind, and we have to deal with the fact that Jason Blood was mortally wounded when he was bound to Etrigan, and he dies. It's a really good scene. The demon is sort of regaining consciousness a little bit, but is very woozy. 
and Jason is bleeding out and everyone gets around and, and John sort of talks to him and says, I'm so sorry, mate. And Jason's like, don't be. Mm -hmm. He's been waiting for this day mm -hmm. for a very long time. Centuries. He's ready. I have done my sworn duty as a knight mm -hmm. of Camelot. I have stopped this evil. The world is saved. This is what I was born to do. And I have completed my quest. And now it's time to let, rest. Let me go. He's not going back to hell this time. No! No! He's like, finally! And even if there would would have been some purgatory, I yeah. think he's already done that. I think that has been fulfilled. I think he gets to go straight on. I think on. he gets a free pass. Go, go directly to heaven. Do not pass purgatory. So he, in essence, gets a happy ending. You then get to see the team. Mm -hmm. All takes a, a road trip back to England. Buries him on English soil. Mm -hmm. Up on a hill overlooking just a, a field. But John sort of gestures down into the valley and says the town where he was born mm -hmm. was right down there. Too bad it took this to bring him home. Yep. And, oh, it's just... Many, many centuries later. And a lot of suffering, but he's, he's home. It's, it's a really heartfelt, mm -hmm. moving moment. Throughout mm -hmm. the whole thing, of course, John's being a bastard to him, because that's what he does. And making fun of him and saying, yeah, of course, he's so full of honor and righteousness, so of course, you know, and just sort of making fun of him a little bit. But at the end, you can see yeah, that respect. Put some respect there. That yeah. respect and reflection. And, and the demon is actually there mm -hmm. at the graveside and gets another pretty good, pretty rad couplet about you know, for we did not choose to walk the earth as one but i have learned a lot and you sort of get the implication that you're gonna still have etrigan the anti-hero mm -hmm. that the demon actually right. has gotten redemption mm -hmm. out of this like yes it was suffering and pain for jason but in his suffering he kind of saved the demon's right. soul mm -hmm. he has mm -hmm. learned honor right some nobility. And nobility. And that's... It's it's a really moving moment. Zatanna reveals she's gotten the call to the big leagues. And John's like, yep, of course, they'd be they'd be stupid not to take you. You're going to leave, leave me, me and join, you're going to... Join gonna the real Justice League. Take Go join the tights and capes crew, of course. Why would you? Why would you stick around with me? She says, you know, they invited you too. <laughs> oh, that's a oh. funny one, Z. Oh, oh, that God. is a funny one. That would drive Batsy mental. No, he was the one who suggested it. See, I've got a feeling Dead Man was involved here somewhere. <laughs> That's the only way. He'd been, been bouncing from leaguer to leaguer. What just happened? We just voted unanimously to have Constantine in it. But uh, Constantine did the right thing and said, no thanks. <laughs> no, no thanks. I wouldn't want to be a member of any club that would have me as a member. Yeah. He's sort of like, but good for you? Are you going to take it? She's like, I'm thinking about it. He was like, all right. Care to think about it over a drink? The house apparates, and there's just this like swelling music because the the house had taken some a pretty serious damage yes. during the final yeah. fight. And they walk over the hill, the two of them, not holding hands, but just sort of comfortably close to each other. And they stroll over the hill, and on the other side of the hill is the house rebuilding itself. And they walk up to mm -hmm. the door, and the door opens, and there's Black Orchid. Holding a couple of pints. <laughs> and 
and they walk in, they take their drinks, and they smile to her, and then Dead Man sort of shows up and sort of gets ready to fly away, and then turns around, and she's still standing there holding the door open. He smiles and flies in, and the house fades away, and everyone has their happy ending. So let's ask the Stella question. Which do you ship more? Zatanna and Constantine? Or Dead Man in the House of Mystery? Okay, let's be honest. The movie frames it as Dead Man has a crush on Black Orchid. Black Orchid is a building. She's a house. Yes, she's a very magic house. He has a crush on a house. Which I weirdly love. (laughs) Because comic books. It's, It's madness. And, like, that's the happy ending, is that the dead circus acrobat and the house are going to go live happily ever after in their non-corporeal romantic arrangement. Like, I just, I don't, it's beautiful. But, of course, it's Constantine and Z that are your, as you call them, OTP, but for you that was... Uh, That would be the occult trash pairing. (laughs) I do love them. Their relationship... I did like Zatanna and Constantine in the comic books. I have a little bit of issue with the on-again, off-again nature of Black Canary Mm. and Green Arrow. Mm -hmm. Because I kind of think that they should just be together. It would not be a great relationship. But sometimes relationships are just really difficult. John and Z are characters who I absolutely love their on-again, off-again relationship. Because every now and then she comes to her senses and dumps him for being an idiot. Yeah. And then he cleans up his act. Just enough. Just enough. And they get back together. And then he gets insecure. And so he runs away. And then he comes back expecting a hero's return. And she kicks his ass. Like, that passionate, unstable relationship, I really dig for both of them. Because they are like magical beings. That works in fiction. That does not work if it's a relative or a best friend. Yeah, no. Then it's a disaster. Then it's terrible. No, no, no. I love to read their relationship yes. because they have such a great relationship, but it is not good. Uh, it is not exactly. good in any way, exactly. shape, or form. They are sort of perfectly imperfect for one another. Because of the budget for these direct-to-DVD films, mm-hmm. the level of the animation, this, but there has to be some simplifications done. Mm-hmm. And this applies to Wonder Woman, but also applies to Zatanna in that somewhat simplified costumes to animate. Yes. So I no, kind of like Zatanna's. I, Basically just a black and white. Black tights and a white bustier and black, black gloves. gloves. Like, I would imagine fishnets could be really hard to animate. Ooh, yeah. Similarly, Wonder Woman, Wonder like Woman said, was a very a, simplified. It's much more the, the simplified bathing suit that goes like all the way up with the like turtleneck collar. Mm-hmm. So no skirt, no complex weave patterns, nothing, nothing like that. that you have to worry about attempting to animate. It's the same uniform that Wonder mm-hmm. Woman has worn in the the other Justice League direct to DVD mm-hmm. movies. I'm not personally a fan of the costume, but you know, it, it, it works. I, I, I think it really I Zatanna look great. Really digs Zatanna's yeah. costume. I like the tuxedo. Mm-hmm. But sort of in-universe, I like the idea that the tuxedo is her stage performance. Right. That that is her... That's wh- her secret identity. That is her secret identity, is with the tuxedo. When she takes the tuxedo off, it's like, okay, it's go time. Right. So overall, we enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. This movie was made for me. 
made for me, animated with M. Middleton personally <laughs> in mind of like, hmm, they really, really, really want Richie and Z, Swampy and John when we were talk- in the same room together. When we were talking about the TV show back on Shortbox Showcases, we would talk about if they get to season two or season three, we can have... Dead man and Zatanna, and so we were we were pitching all of these ideas that so this was the and this I mean, was the way that it that it and happened. Honestly, blending in some of our favorite aspects from Demon Knights, the other right, New Fifty Two right. book that we really loved. Mm-hmm. It really worked for us. It was exactly what we wanted, what we needed. And I would say you do not have to be familiar with the JL Dark comic books no it is relatively self-explanatory there are some things like black orchid shows up and it's it's actually pretty great because he makes a comment of like oh so this is your new floozy <laughs> and he's like no and you kind of go like she's the house and he just blitzes it in like two sentences it's like the, the house of mystery wanted to know what it was like to be a human being so here she is end of explanation <laughs> yeah so <laughs> there are some narrative shortcuts fair enough Fair enough. But it, it got us Black Orchid and Zatanna and uh, Dead Man in the same room. So and start, I'm not going to complain. And it does start and end with your traditional Justice League. If, so if you need that as your anchor. If you watched the Constantine TV show that, and wanted some closure, wanted another, a happy mm-hmm, ending, mm-hmm. between the way that the movie ends and the inclusion of Richie, it very much resembles mm-hmm. one of the episodes of the TV show. The one with the, the haunted house. It's very much almost sort of a sequel to that mm-hmm. episode in particular, which is great because it's one of my favorite episodes. With a poop monster. Also with a poop monster, which I is unfortunate. Um, That's early on. And you know, even even that is the low point. It's not. But they get past that. It's not terrible. <laughs> so we enjoyed it. Good stuff. Quality. I think that is everything that we could ever want to hope to say about Justice League Dark, especially the DVD. We will take a slight break here, and when we come back, for the first time in way too long, it's listener feedback. I walk on this broken glass and concrete sidewalks. I want my feet in the earth. I walk on this Hello, this is Tyler Henschel from the band Insomniac Folklore, and you are listening to Darkness to light. And oh God, you're bigger than me. We're all drunk, stumbling down darkened streets. What can we do to finally see? We're all drunk, stumbling down darkened And we're back. We have awesome listeners who regularly send us awesome feedback. So it's time to go through the entire big old bag of your emails, faxes, and notes. And first, we have two new iTunes reviews, although technically now we should call them Apple Podcast reviews because that's how iTunes has been rebranded. I don't care and I refuse. Okay, our first iTunes review is from Oki Lane, who gave us a very brief review. Actually, the title of the review, which is My New Sunday Funday, is longer than the entire comment, which is, yep. Thank you, Oki. <laughs> Justin Davis also gave us a review with the title, My Favorite Podcast. 
Can't beat that. And his actual review is just as kind. (laughs) My new favorite podcast, you guys blend faith and pop culture extremely well. You mentioned you couldn't find a podcast like it, so you created one. And by doing so, you filled the gap that I was looking for as well. I love the content you guys put out. Keep up the good work. I even subscribed to the Tumblr page. You're welcome, Emily. Yes! Victory! Victory! Well, after we got back from our trip to Europe, you loaded up Tumblr for a couple of weeks, at least. Yeah, about about two weeks. Was with pretty much Germany and Luther, Luther 500 Luther stuff. Luther 24-7 all the time. But now that you've worked your way through all of the Luther and German stuff, we're back to normal yes. on the Tumblr page. Yes, we're back to normal. <laughs> Lots of Kesha at this exact moment, seeing as Praying is like the number four mm. single on the iTunes music boards. And her album overall is sitting pretty at about number 13. Uh, and I highly recommend it's that, very good. That video is pretty epic. That's a really good video. I'm actually planning on posting more music. Okay. We, I posted some of the Lost and Found songs mm-hmm. uh, during that Luther right. sprint. Because I've been picking up a lot of good good quality... Interesting stuff. Yeah, not not religious music, but spiritually mm-hmm. adjacent stuff. Weird, yep. like, exactly. like praying. Well, thank you, Oki Lane and Justin Davis, for those nice reviews. And thanks for all ten stars. Yes! Boom! And now we did not do feedback last episode, or the episode before that, and maybe the one before that either. Okay, so we did a couple of really long episodes. We talked about this on Shortbox Showcase, and we're going to try and maybe not cut content, but compress content. Two-hour episodes are strenuous to record and to edit. So we apologize that it's taken so long to get to these on the air. Literally, there are people wishing us Merry Christmas in some of these emails. So you know. But please do not let that keep you from feeding back to us. Please. That is not the message we are sending. So we'll do our best, as we said, to structure future episodes so we can get to things a little bit quicker. There were a couple of bits of feedback on blog posts. Uh, Someone named Brianna commented on one of my old Christian comic book reviews that they actually remembered reading the angel-themed Unforgotten's comic book when they were a kid. Right on. Bringing back that hashtag nostalgia. (laughs) Exactly. Our old buddy Noel Thingval from Greystoked and formerly of I Hate Love Remakes commented about our comments on Left Behind and has said, I am fully on board for a Left Behind Films podcast slash commentary. The next move is now yours. What hath darkness wrought? One day. One day. One day soon? One day. One day. One day. We're going to have to work up to that. (laughs) Our old buddy Isaac Miner wrote in earlier in the year and had an interesting suggestion for an episode. Professor and Emily. Being in college, I've fallen behind on my podcast listening However, I started to catch up with you guys and am enjoying the geeky goodness. I've written before to share my love of your Dorkness Delight podcast before. I will reiterate how much I love this show. Being a pastoral student, this scratches both that spiritual and geeky need in one location. It's two great tastes that go together. 
I just finished Professor Allen's Phantom Stranger episode on the Quarterbin podcast, and I'm wondering, will you two consider doing an episode on Justice League Dar? Yes. I think we will. I'm not promising, we're just saying we'll consider it. Certainly. I've started reading the new 52 series and thought it would fit into your theology meets geekology mandate. Just a thought. Now I have to get back to my first Corinthians paper. Thanks again for the geeky goodness. And like I said, considering this was many, many months ago, I certainly hope he's finished the paper. Yes. And though you do not endorse procrastination, if you're going to procrastinate, this is better than most. I think this counts as an excused absence. Personally. <laughs> I was listening to Dorkness Delight. This spring, Isaac wrote in with another question for us that in a way touches on a topic we've covered before on Shortbox Showcase about how we draw lines about the media we consume or don't consume. On that episode of Shortbox Showcase, we talked about specific creators or how to separate the creator from the creation and that sort of thing. So here is a more specifically dorkness version of the question. Professor and Emily, it's me again. I have a question for the both of you that you might want to answer on, on your show. It's clear that you guys really enjoy comics and are also Christians. Do your morals ever prohibit you from reading something? For instance, do your morals prohibit you from reading something with too much violence or cursing or maybe blood and gore? For myself, I know I can't read certain books for those reasons. Really curious about where you stand. Thanks, and keep up the good work. Again, as an actual tenured university professor, allow me to say to you, Isaac, as the fall semester starts up, no, you keep up the good work. It's sort of the way we talked about this or framed this discussion on Shortbox Showcase is that we had a couple of broad principles that we operate under to discuss this type of, of question or subject. One, we respect the different lines that various people draw or don't draw for themselves. And two, we don't hold others to the same lines as we have, or we don't judge negatively judge people for drawing different lines than we do. In terms of expressing where my line is, I'll use George R.R. Martin as an example. I've read the Song of Ice and Fire books. Hopefully at some point I'll get to read at least least one more. I mean, if George does, I will. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. And that's about as rough as I get in terms of what I read. That's about where the line is. The Song of Ice and Fire novels. I don't watch Game of Thrones because for visual media, that's a step too far for me. I heard someone else uh, talk about this in this context, and I thought it was an, an interesting point in terms of movies and TV and, and sort of figuring out this, this type of content. To me, I think there's a difference between nudity and other type of, of content, at least if you're thinking about it maybe from a spiritual dimension. Violence or blood, for example. If I'm watching Fear the Walking Dead, I'm not watching someone actually have their intestines pulled out and eaten by a zombie. Or ripping someone's throat open. But when you watch something with nudity, that is an actual person nude. Overwhelmingly, that's most likely an actual woman nude. And to me, that's an actual qualitative difference between nudity and other types of make-believe content so you can you can look at that from that perspective there's also obviously a social justice warrior aspect to this topic as well if you want to look at it from that perspective because that's 
Again, it's women who are overwhelmingly put in the position of being asked. Or, or required. strongly asked or required, if you want this part, to engage in some level of nudity on film. I've certainly heard people speak, actresses speak, about how performing nude in various things can be empowering. And mm-hmm. so I don't want to discount that aspect altogether. But I think the vast majority there is male producer, male writer, male director involved in her choice. Yeah. I put that for a couple of reasons in actually in a different category from the other things. There are lots of things that are simulated Mm -hmm. on screen, but nudity, it is actually the real deal. And if that's... It may not be the star actress. It may be a body double. But it's somebody. But it's somebody's body. And if that is a problem for you for Mm -hmm. any reason, that is certainly Mm -hmm. valid and understandable. In terms of specifically religious content, uh, I have a few thoughts on that as well. First, in terms of religious or Christian characters. And there's just a matter of being bored or being sick and tired of the idea that any religious character, especially a leader, especially if they're wearing a clerical collar of some kind, okay, well, that's your hypocrite. Mm -hmm. That's going to be your evil character. It's just understood. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of like I'm tired of seeing the trope of college professors on TV or movies who are sleeping with their students. Again, it's like so you see that character, the, the younger male college professor. Hot, hot 37-year-old, recently tenured professor, and you're like, well, I know where this is going. Or you see the pastor, and you know where that's going in one way or another. There's a corruption, there's a hypocrisy, there's stealing the money, there's... Sleeping with the congregation. There's something going something, on. Something shady. So there's a aspect of, in, in a sense, I'm just ugh, sick really? and tired of that. Again, again. And then I think, lastly, is terms of the portrayal of God. And here I want to talk about the show Preacher. <laughs> because <Yep. laughs> because I, have, I am on, still on, and have been from the beginning, an episode-by-episode contract with Preacher. And the idea of the portrayal of God to me, if you're talking, where the line is here for me, is that if you're talking about God in general, I'm a a little more flexible on that because I can sort of spin that into where you're talking lowercase God. You're 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 talking more generic force, Mm -hmm. something, you know, it's not, even in a show like Preacher, they're clearly talking about a Christian version of heaven and of god and of church that that's a little touchier but it comes down to very specifically the line for me is if jesus is a character or is a plot point and how how he is portrayed that's where i would draw the the religious line and i think in preacher it gets to that at some point one way or another at, yeah at some at some point we are going to reach critical that's stink. going to happen and i'll say oh, yeah and I'm you'll be like well i got that. to enjoy 27 episodes of this show there or you go. maybe maybe 38 you but never at, know. Some, at some point at some point there's going to have to be going that to jump moment, shit because that moment. You, one of two things is going to happen is that they're going to reach that point and it's going to be too much for you, and you will stop. Or they're going to have some sort of cosmic realization, which I find incredibly unlikely. And the series will end. Like so, I, like I would say, if you, if 
if you want a twist, you end Preacher with them finding God. And it's real God. <laughs> and it being the real... And now that would be a twist. And that would be... No, like, it would be like the midpoint of Angels in America. Just like... And then you meet God God, and everyone just kind of, like, falls uh, over. Fade exactly. to white. End of show. <laughs> That'd be cool. So in terms of content, those are just my broad sort of thoughts on, on personal... And again, draw your lines where you, where you will. Certainly feel free to comment on my lines, but know that they're mine. Yes. <laughs> I have very few lines mm-hmm. when it comes to watching media in general. I am very much a media is media. Mm-hmm. And right. I have very few issues watching a thing that disagrees with me or watching a thing that portrays things I care about in a bad light. Mm -hmm. I have watched many movies about evil gay people Mm -hmm. and it annoys me. But if it's a good movie, that's that's my sort of thing at the end of the day is if it's a quality piece of entertainment, I will be entertained. I do have one sort of Mm exception-ish. So... My favorite album, like def- definitely like in my top ten, is the album England Keep Our Bones by Frank Turner. And I love it largely because it is basically a Constantine fan album. Uh, if anybody <laughs> wants like a fan soundtrack for the TV show, go listen to this album. It's great. One of the songs, it's actually the very last song, I am unable to sing. Profanity, obscenity, making making quips about God or religion or spirituality or the afterlife or or hell or whatever, like no problems anywhere through it. The last song on the album is called Glory Hallelujah and is basically an atheist Dawkins style anthem mm-hmm. about we've we've heard the gospel, great news, set the people free because there never was no God. And then it just repeats that over and over and over and over for three and a half minutes, and I am physically incapable mm-hmm. of singing it. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much the only one. Right. I very much like Stephen Colbert's line that he has said before of, you know, how do you, A, work in television and still be, like, a practicing devout Catholic? How do you make jokes about religion and still be a practicing devout Catholic? How do you be a mm-hmm. comedian mm-hmm. and be a practicing devout Catholic? And he has said that his line is, he stops short of mocking the sacraments. Mm, uh-huh. So he's not going to make jokes about communion. Uh-huh. He is not going to mock the concept of marriage or priesthood. Uh-huh. He will mock individuals. Right. He will certainly make fun of married couples. Uh-huh. He will poke fun at individual members of the clergy if they do something dumb and ridiculous right. worthy of derision but he mm. is not going to like mock priesthood right. or mock taking vows mm-hmm. or baptism mm-hmm. or communion because those things are off limits interesting i, like I was that. like that's a really good line mm-hmm. that's not too dissimilar from my line of you could Mess around a little bit with God, but Jesus. Mess, mess around a little bit with, like, the church, but, like, once you start dealing but with the personhood. Then it's, that's what, interesting. I like that's that. The thing that's is, it's just, at, at some point, it becomes a different thing. Mm-hmm. And at what point something becomes unviewable or obscene mm-hmm. or uncomfortable, it's different for everyone. Right. 
an issue versus conscience versus uncomfortable. Those are all sort of different levels mm-hmm. uh, as well. Uh, I will give a quick shout out to the Strangers and Aliens mm-hmm. podcast, which is Ben Avery and a couple other guys who do similar to this talk about pop culture and so forth in a, a, a religious Christian perspective. And on that show, one of the hosts is very skeptical about magic and that how that is portrayed. One of the other hosts loves the Harry Potter books, especially the spiritual and biblical things that Rowling is very, very particularly very, very much drawing on. And, and particularly put in the books. But they're podcast buddies and they work together and they have quite different perspectives on that one area and do not judge each other mm-hmm. for their different perspectives. And I think that's the important thing to keep in mind for anything that has to do with this, is that what we are talking about is art. It mm-hmm. is inherently subjective. So because you perceive a piece mm-hmm. of art one with a certain lens or proposing a certain perspective or espousing mm-hmm. a certain set of beliefs... Another person liking that piece of media does not necessarily mean that they view that media that way, that they see those same mm-hmm. things, or that they agree with those things. Right. Mm-hmm. I have gotten in many, many debates, specifically about Harry Potter, of <laughs> this was the one that actually does legitimately make me mad, is it doesn't actually have anything to do with the magic part, actually. Mm-hmm. It's questioning authority stuff Mm. where people go but they question their authority all the time and they don't listen they're bad kids because they don't do what they're told and i'm like what how 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 are you getting there it's it's those moments where you go how could you and i read the exact same text and get such polar opposite messages out of it or and this also happens specifically in relationship to characters. Like, I don't mm-hmm. get people who don't like Ron Weasley. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like legitimately can't understand them because the character that they perceive... Is not the one that is you not the one see that when I you perceive. read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because so fundamentally we get different things out of the text, them saying, I don't like Ron Weasley, and me saying, I like Ron Weasley... It doesn't even mean we dislike or like the same things. things. Right, because you, you're saying different things about it. Anytime that you are dealing with anything that involves literary criticism, mm-hmm. just because someone likes a thing that you have theological problems with doesn't mean they, that they agree with the theological point. Right. They probably right. ignore it. Right, right, exactly. Good question. Good question. Good discussion. Then way back in episode 9... We covered Over the Garden Wall. It's almost time to watch Over the Garden Wall again. And our buddy, professional buzzkill Nathaniel Wayne, had a few things to say about it. I just finished your discussion of Over the Garden Wall. And as a self-professed animation junkie, it intrigued me enough to order it from Amazon. Your conversation made me think about the animated films I already have and love to see if there's anything that might have a toe in some religious concepts that I could recommend to you. Because sadly, when most people think of religious animation, they think of some more preachy stuff, like Davy and Goliath or VeggieTales. Yeah. However, there's a film I have in my collection I want to wholeheartedly recommend. 
The Secret of Kells. Darkness to Light approved Secret of Kells. I love this movie. Nathaniel says it came onto his radar when it was the token non-U.S. nominee for the Oscar for Best Animated Feature in 2010. And it's glorious. We agree. It has a visual style that is one simple but incredibly rich. It deals with a fictionalized telling of the origin of the illuminated manuscript, The Book of Kells. A.K.A. one of the most beautiful books ever created by humanity. Which I have seen a page or two of. Because I went to Trinity College in Dublin while you and your mom... Uh, slept. Well, took... mom went shopping. I went to bed. To be fair, you guys did plenty of other stuff the nights before and that night that I didn't do, so... I think we all got pretty good stuff out of that day in particular, but I think you definitely won. Nathaniel says it seamlessly blends elements of Celtic mythology and Christianity with a dose of real-world history and is a simply stunning film to watch. Seriously. Watch this film! Happy New Year. Oops. (laughs) Nathaniel Wayne. So, one of the original pitches... For our, our first couple of episodes. When we first planned this episode, obviously, uh, the DC Mystical was going to be one of our first episodes. We wanted to talk about Miss Marvel. because The Daredevil TV show. The Daredevil TV show had just been released. There were certain things we knew we had to hit. One of the very first things that we both thought of to talk about on one of the early episodes of this show was The Secret of Kells. However... As much as Over the Garden Wall was a dis- an attempt to discuss a visual medium in an auditory format. It's tough. The Secret of Kells would be literally impossible to talk about on a podcast. You just need to watch it. We can try at some point. We can maybe do a mini review at some point. It, and the it, content and, is so good. And at some point, the stuff about syncretic religion... And Christian pagan relations, you know, there's so a lot of there's stuff. There's a lot there. of stuff to talk about, and we will probably talk about that movie at some point in another episode where we're talking about right. syncretism. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, but we, we wholeheartedly we concur. wholeheartedly agree. Please watch this movie. I should actually go see if there are some gift sets of it to put on our Tumblr. Boom. On the DC Rebirth Holiday Special, that was episode ten. Bradley Null wrote in, don't have this issue yet. I wasn't going to get it. I will now. Great episode. Excellent. I hope you enjoyed it. The highly caffeinated Clinton Robinson talked about that episode as well. Another excellent episode. Especially happy Emily finally got a Hanukkah special. Now for a Kwanzaa one, yes? Do you have a recommendation? We will take submissions. Just a quick note before I move on in favor of better, i.e. more well-informed feedback, Angels. You pointed out how overly terrible and full of holy wrath they can be. Just remember that in Night Vale, it is illegal to acknowledge the existence of angels. Put those two thoughts together, I think you've got a portion of an episode on your hands. (laughs) Going backwards a bit to discussions of liminal spaces and the other, I'm very glad Young Goodman Brown and The Lottery were pointed Mm. out as examples. Mark Twain's The Mysterious Stranger could also serve as a good example, particularly in the character of Satan. Mm. One final note, grammatically speaking, 
Each day of the 12 days of Christmas involves the true love giving a new gift, as well as the rest of the previous gifts once again. So technically, Satana should have tons and tons of things popping out of her hat. (laughs) But I forgive it this time because I seriously doubt DC would find an artist willing to find a way to fit 364 different things into those panels. It was already a slightly (laughs) oversized issue. Like, that would have been prohibitively enormous. He concludes, as always, keep up the great work and take care. Looking forward to seeing what topics are covered in the future. Thank you, Clinton. Gene Hendricks wrote in on that episode as well, and he started with the price tag. $9.99 for a comic? I'm picturing the professor doing his best Red Fox in the comic shop. It costs how much? Oh, this is the big one! Well, yes. That was pretty much my reaction. (laughs) Price aside, it does sound like a good collection of stories. Some serious, some silly, some with a bit of both. It's also nice to see that they're more than just Christmas and an odd Hanukkah story. Slowly but surely, people are realizing that there's more than just Christmas being celebrated at the end of December. I might just have to pick this issue up at some point, maybe next time I manage to get into an LCS. But the next holiday special might be out by then. I hope you had a Merry Christmas, all 12 days of it, and I wish you both a very happy and healthy New Year, Gene. First of all, I know it was a while back, but did you have a Merry Christmas? Oh, yeah. I think I did, too. It was a pretty great Christmas. And I think it's fair at this point, about two-thirds of the way through the year. How's your 2017 going? Every day is an adventure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, these people have been wishing us Happy New Year all episode. I think we should report back in. We should probably, uh, yeah, report in on that. Great vacations. Good, 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 good vacations. So, (laughs) So, yeah, I call call this a a solid, solidly positive year. Happy Midsummer. (laughs) <laughs> the Gene Since we're like a few weeks past the solstice. Um... <laughs> now we have an email from Hugo Rivera, who told us about the interesting ways that he combined his fandoms and religious headcanon. Hello, MM Professor. I don't write often, but I'm a loyal listener to RGN and this podcast. As the son of a pastor, this podcast touched on many of the things I've often thought about and how I can relate to my own beliefs. So thank you for that. In the last podcast, you were talking about angels, which made me think about how I saw them. I've always been fascinated by archangels and their role within the hierarchy of the Trinity. I imagined them as agents of God sent out to Earth to help prepare for the second coming. I chose the four angels that I knew of at the time, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Uriel. Since I was raised Methodist, and the last two were not part of the official canon, but thanks to my Catholic Bible (laughs) and my dad's seminary books respectively, I had my foursome. Then I started looking at my G.I. Joe collection. And here is where the email went from good to epic. Part of my geekdom made me enjoy my toys way past the time I was supposed to. But, being my creative self, I started modifying some of them to suit my needs. I've even bought some new ones because I didn't have quite the ones I was looking for. And then he sent us pictures of the angelic mods he did to his Joes. Let me repeat that again. The mods that he did to his G.I. Joes to turn them into angels. Awesome. Epic. Legend, wait for it. Dairy. <laughs> Michael the leader. Businesslike and stoic. As the leader, he also had a custom sword, a la Sword of Omens. But this sword had the word of God in the hilt instead. 
Second in command, Gabriel. The strongest of the group, God is my strength, and as the messenger of God, he's the more, most comfortable around humans. Also has a positive attitude towards his missions, and I made him Latino. Good for you, Hugo. Raphael is the healer of the group, and as such can be the most sensitive. Still a strong warrior in his own right, and he is Asian. I You're, like this multicultural I'm, team I'm, that I'm, it's, Hugo It's put very together. in keeping with the Joes. Uriel, he was supposed to be the face of God, and I made him faceless, since no human can see the face of God. He's the most mysterious of the group and doesn't say much, but he's the best fighter of the foursome. Think Snake Eyes. <laughs> As you can see, they all have their own custom wings, personalized helmets, and the human companions were Roadblock and Gung Ho. Well, of course they were. Who else would they be? And then he did the bad guys. The one in the middle is Lucifer, the fallen angel, and the rest are his henchmen, the four horsemen. This is just amazing. This is incredible. Lucifer is handsome, charismatic, has his own sword. He considers Michael a usurper and beneath him. And yes, I played with them and came up with new adventures almost every week. This is how I view the mythology of the Archangels. Sorry about the long email. Thank you for all that you guys do. Your faithful listener, Hugo. This is why we do the show. Yep, right here. Right here. So we can get people like Hugo who have modded G.I. Joes to turn them into archangels and tell us about that. Yes. This, this says, how much of the win does that email have? Uh, all of it. All I, of I the believe win. it has all the win. I think, I think maximum win. We love hearing stories about how they wrestle with their ideas of faith and religion. We also like hearing about the, how people play with ideas <laughs> of faith. And religion. Now, when I talk about sometimes I like, you know, playing with ideas, playing with thoughts, <laughs> yeah. playing with the theologies. I was not actually thinking about playing with the action figures. I mean. But that's epic. We do love seeing every single Christmas time. Mm-hmm. We get to see people's nerd nativities. That is true. Which I am a big fan of. Let's get, let's get Dr. Phil real for a second here, guys. Um, what is a saint figure? If not... An action figure. <laughs> like, uh, guys. <laughs> not untrue. Not untrue. We love this email. We very much appreciated the pictures. Thank you, Hugo. Thank you, Hugo. <laughs> Noel also wrote in on our discussion of religious fandom and spiritual headcanon in episode 11. Another wonderful and thought-provoking episode. It's another case where I'm wired so completely differently from what's being discussed, while still finding it fascinating. I don't just mean religiously, with me being a non-believer who's never fallen into a religion, not even the new atheism, but how I've never really fallen into fandoms throughout my geek life either. Even things I really enjoy, I've never latched onto with the dedication and focus that fandom calls for, especially the unified canon. On the contrary, I love things that have a broad variety of interpretations, which create a broader picture of that thing as a whole, including their opposing points and where they stray down paths that aren't for me. That's the reason I like remakes and sequels and prequels, what have you, because the more variance on a thing increases my fascination with exploring it. This is why I don't have a favorite comic book character, because even within a shared continuity, The quality and take on a character is entirely dependent on which team is telling their stories at a particular time. 
This is why I like doing projects, going through the entire works of creators in order. His podcasts include Grey Stoked, going through every Tarzan movie ever made, and Masters of Carpentry, going through the entire work chronologically of John Carpenter. So that is exactly what he's, what he's doing. And cover everything alongside just their popular stuff, because you get to see how all of it laid out together tells the broader story of the person, which can be held against the broader landscape of other stories released in that era. I've dipped into religions, read many of the major texts, and while I find them fascinating to look at historically, philosophically, or narratively, I've never fallen into any of them as a fandom, so to speak. And even looking at the broader connections, the truths that they're exploring and sharing are just not what clicks with me and what I believe and where my fascination lies. Well, thank you for that, Noel. We do appreciate that, and any time we provoke thought of any kind... That's a win, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Mark Baker Wright also wrote in about that episode. I've been following your podcast for several months now, but this has to be my favorite episode so far by a long shot. There's so much I'd like to say to provide context as to why I love this episode so much, but it's probably not appropriate to do a full sacred origins, (laughs) love that term, in an email, so I'll make do with this. I have an MDiv, Masters of Divinity, From Fuller Theological Seminary, the nation's largest evangelical seminary. But I am not a pastor, having ultimately followed a calling as academic support in Christian higher education. I self-identify as Presbyterian, but my wife, also a Fuller MDiv, currently working on her PhD, is an Episcopal priest. We have both known the awkward reality of being too liberal for conservatives and too conservative for liberals. But I do like the Presbyterian being married to the Episcopal priest. Yeah, that's that's, awesome. That's great. I very much appreciate your attempts to be as open and non-judgmental as possible, while still recognizing the need for guardrails, another term I appreciate. As a nominal Calvinist, Uh. being Presbyterian, I have most of the same criticisms of Calvinism you described, (laughs) and find that many of those who want to defend those doctrines often try to accuse those of us who question them of having no guardrails whatsoever. Actually, most of the Presbyterians I know aren't keen on Calvinism, but full disclosure, we of the PC, USA, tend not to be as uptight about those theological distinctions as other Presbyterians, which of course makes us apostate in the eyes of many. I want to laugh, but that's probably just a slight exaggeration. Yeah. There's probably enough truth in that statement. Uh, Yeah. Mark continues... I also appreciate your ability to describe theological jargon in a way that is not only accessible, but also accurate. I really do worry about this a lot of the time, because occasionally we just sort of fling terms out there, at least I do, with sort of a a, a vague Vague. (laughs) idea where I'm like, I'm I'm pretty sure I know what this means. We're in the ballpark. We're close, but the problem (laughs) is, problem is, we have people who listen to us. Who actually know. definitely know what that means and if i'm wrong they will correct me and i am glad to be corrected we are at best educated laymen yeah (laughs) definitely at best in a world where most bible category questions on jeopardy are missed by the otherwise smart people 
This is a rare ability, and it feels a bit like finding home mm. to find people so conversant in both theology and geek culture, which is, of course, how I found you guys in the first place. Thanks for being so vulnerable with us. I look forward to hearing more from you. If you ever want to explore spiritual angles of the Transformers mythos, why do people keep bringing this up? I'd especially love to hear what you had to say about that. We have nothing to say about that, because we know nothing about the Transformers mythos. However, would it be worth putting together a post where all of our listeners are like, if you know about the theological mythos of the Transformers and want to go talk to each other about it, like, here, you can have a sub-forum. Here is your group. Be happy. Frolic. Well, it is good to make your acquaintance, Mark. Appreciate that. And it's... uh... It's good to know that some Calvinists are fine podcast listeners. Yes. And some thoughts on this topic, again, from Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, Hendricks, Emily and Alan. I like the idea that you can have headcanon with regard to religion. That's kind of like how I believe that the Norse creation story is an ancient way of explaining M-theory. Specifically, it was the interaction between two membranes... Nephilheim and Muspelheim that caused our universe to be creative. Of course, sometimes I'm too nerdy for my own good. We will never say that. <laughs> never. Impossible! Impossible. As far as being respectful of other religions, gods, and their symbols, I wish that everyone would at least think of that. This is why the question, how are you not excited about Neil Gaiman tackling the Norse myths, is typically met with a response of, well... How would you feel about him retelling the Bible and making it more up-to-date? It might be great, but I have trouble getting excited over it. I reblogged several posts about this. People asking of, of our other people that we are aware of who, who live in this sort of nerdy theological mm-hmm. nexus, man, you must be so excited about American gods. I mean, not really. To jump back to a prior topic... I read American Gods. I thought it was okay. I understand they have a Jesus character on the TV show. And it's it's not good. No. So so I draw my line at a Neil Gaiman... And Neil Gaiman Jesus? <laughs> and Gene draws his line at Neil Gaiman and the Norse Gods. And, We're with you, brother. And, and there was a very thoughtful discussion of this that one of our favorite recommended people, not because of victories... Mm-hmm. Where someone asked, like, are you interested in this? Because it's all about, like, divinity and spirituality and the gods and, like, how people relate to those and all that stuff. And her point was, there's nothing wrong with it in a concrete, definable way. But Neil Gaiman is clearly writing about the other. There is something about the Uh. nature of having a deeply held religious conviction that he just doesn't get right. Mm. It's not even like he writes the characters wrong. Even outside of he gets the gods wrong, right. more importantly for her, he gets the, he humans, gets the followers the, the concept, wrong. The concept of belief wrong. What is it about humans that lead them to interesting? And that there's something about that that's just missing. missing. Interesting. Back to Jean. What I took away from your sacred origins sounded to me like you both have gotten a lot of outside experiences that allowed you to each form your own opinions. That means that, in my opinion, not only is your faith stronger, but you're able to 
to accept other points of view without it breaking your worldview. This is why my Protestant wife has no problem with my religion and even participates. As long as she puts Jehovah in the number one seat, she's good. Gene. Bradley Null said he listened to that episode twice and said it was hitting him in a deep place. Good. Yeah, good. I I love it whenever people are like, that's really thought-provoking. It's like, okay, good, because sometimes it really does just feel like we're rambling at an empty room. <laughs> I do I do appreciate this validation of like, I do actually go through that experience. It's like, oh, thank God, good. Okay. Because yes. we might have been the weird ones. I like having confirmation that at least we are not alone. <laughs> you joke? That has actually been quite valuable. That's why all this feedback from whatever perspective been really valuable for me there was a an article i got i got i gotta think it was like from the late 90s or somewhere a quote of david duchovny Mm -hmm. talking about fandom and church and talking about how the x-files fandom was like a church yes you were there specifically because of your love of a thing but the thing that it did for you was giving up giving you a home and Mm, giving you mm -hmm. people that you could trust and rely on yeah, we're here to read this fanfic together because we both share this ship. But then you can go over into the message app and be like, hey, I'm having a really rough week. Mm-hmm. My mom just died. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm really having a difficult time with that. And you can have people say, hey, we're thinking about you. Mm-hmm. Like, internet mm-hmm. church. <laughs> internet church. <laughs> the wonderful Sutherlands wrote in with some encouraging feedback on that episode as well. Hi, Emily and Alan. I enjoyed listening to your latest episode of Dorkness to Light today. It's always an insightful show, whether I agree with every comment or not. A few thoughts and comments in no particular order. As a progressive and a Protestant, I've never understood the extreme disagreement between Catholics and Protestants. We have so much more in common than what is different. I don't understand why we can't celebrate what is common and calmly discuss what is different. Of course, that is my philosophy on most things in life, which is why I am frequently bewildered by the extreme left and right ends of both the political and religious spectrums. Mm -hmm. I laughed at Emily's reaction to the saying, Jesus is my homeboy. I do actually agree with the sentiment about the saying. I'm a bit more forgiving of those who use (laughs) it, knowing that their hearts are in the right place. This is fair. It reminded me of a saying that was common when I was growing up, which was, Jesus is my co-pilot. And it's later counterpoint, if Jesus is your co-pilot, you're sitting in the wrong seat. <laughs> Again, I would say their hearts were in the right place. I've never understood the insistence that some people put on taking the Bible literally. Jesus used parables throughout his teaching to explain his messages in a way that people could understand and learn from. I find it easy to accept that other stories in the Bible are told similarly so that we can understand it as opposed to as literal mm-hmm. messages. Mm-hmm. So the lesson we learn from the story is more important than the literal meaning of the words. In closing, I'll just say that while some people may say, Jesus is my homeboy, and some may say, Jesus is my co-pilot, I will say, Jesus is my savior. Take care, my friends. Darren. Witness, brother. Preach it. Preach it. How Carr, Dave McIlvaney, had a few things to say on this topic also. Greetings, Middletons. What an absolutely wonderful episode. I thought your discussion comparing religion and fandom was quite well done, and very appropriate for the Dorkness to Light audience. The main part of that episode, discussing each of your spiritual religious journeys, was fascinating to me, and I found it as forthright and honest a personal discussion as it could be. 
I myself am a Catholic, baptized as an infant and a student in a parochial grammar school and private Catholic high school in Philadelphia in the 1960s and early 70s, a very conservative archdiocese. I also had a family that was less monolithically Catholic than many of my peers. Many of them literally did not know a person who wasn't Catholic. I think that's a problem with many insular communities of, mm-hmm. of, of any type, religious, ethnic, what, national origin, whatever mm-hmm. the, the, the thing is, you, get, you, you can get so involved in your own community and your own group, which is a positive, that you, nev- you, you, you can never know. You do actually forget there are people <laughs> yes. out there. My paternal grandmother came from a large Baptist family, so I had many Protestant relatives. But she had married a Catholic back in the 20s and had promised to raise the children in the Catholic faith. She took that promise very seriously, and although she never became a Catholic herself, she would proudly tell anyone who asked that I raised three good Catholic sons. Nice. I grew up aware of the aversion that many Catholics have towards Protestantism and vice versa, particularly toward any hint of Marian devotion and found myself laughing at Alan's story of a group's silent reaction to a Catholic-oriented joke about Mary. I'm guessing it was the one involving Let He Who Is Without Sin cast the first stone. Quite a popular one in fifth grade at St. Bridget's in my day. That was the exact joke, Dave. Okay, so You nailed it. So literally every Catholic knows this joke. <laughs> and about 30 years ago, a table full of Protestants heard it as well. And did not get it <laughs> at all. Fortunately... I think having a mixed extended family helped inoculate me against the most extreme forms of that aversion to the other because I'm married to a wonderful Lutheran. Excellent. And have solid friendships with people of various faiths and of no particular faith. I think ultimately, no matter what, if any particular denomination a person chooses to belong to, the journey of faith is really at its heart, both personal and individual. Thank you for sharing some of yours. Live long and prosper, Dave. Thank you for writing in, Dave. He also wrote in about the Luther 500 extravaganza. Quite a fun listen. Thanks, too, for the links, which I quite enjoyed. I shared Reformation Rock with my Lutheran wife, and she enjoyed it very much. Of course she did. It's a pretty awesome song. <laughs> it sounds like you had a great trip, and I found myself laughing out loud at the idea of the size of your group was so unusual, and your status as non-Lutherans on a Luther 500 tour was confusing to you. Okay. Uh, he, I mean, he has a point. We were thinking of it as a church history, as a reformation. We were not narrowly thinking that that was just that was a Lutheran. literally just Lutherans. I will point out an experience that your mom had. Mm-hmm. We came back. We were all so excited about this trip. And so she had been gone from work for two weeks, and she works at our church. And so when she went back, many of the people were very excited about the trip. Oh, Wittenberg and the door and the this and the that. But there was a chunk of people who didn't get it. Again, religious, Protestant, evangelical people. Working in a church. didn't get the importance of Luther and Reformation. And it was like over there. It was like over their heads or a context. They weren't. They're like, but you're not Lutheran. It's like I, I, I know. I know, but, but like this is this is, re- this is our heritage. This you know, is, yeah. Like guys. So she was disappointed by that that small contingent who just didn't 
see why she was so excited didn't about get that why it part was of the trip. A big, big deal. deal. Yeah. Like, I saw the door. What door? Huh? The, the Wittenberg door. Oh yeah, like I remember that. That was a thing, right? Okay. And you're just like, oh. At least mom has now had the experience that you and I have had frequently of like, I just saw the Avengers. Okay. Uh, what? No. Why yeah. don't you get why this is a big deal? So Mrs. Hulkar was, of course it's going to be Lutherans. What were you thinking? <laughs> well, okay, yes. As geeks, I'm sure being so clearly not part of the majority, it's kind of exactly. simultaneously a little awkward and liberating. Always fun to hear people relive a trip they've recently enjoyed, and I thank you both for sharing your experiences. I hope your memories of the trip become even more enjoyable over time. Thank you, Dave. Thus far, yes. Yes. Because we still go every now and then like, oh man, Germany was great. It's been like two months. Oh, I... Man, that was good. Our buddies, the wonderful Sutherlands, also rode in on our summer vacation. Hi, Emily and Alan. We wanted to write to say how awesome your Luther 500 episode was. Everything from your description of meals to cathedrals, all the sights and sounds in between were captivating. We sincerely appreciate you sharing them with us. This lengthy episode was a delight. A great episode about a great trip. Now, if our travels can earn the Sutherland seal of approval... Oh yeah, we, we again, did that right. we have done something right. Now, we knew from past interactions that our buddy Christopher Willette was a fan of Lost and Found, the band that organized the Luther 500 tour that we were on. And he said that he loved hearing about the event and that it was neat that the band would do something like that. Yes. Agreed. Christopher Warden also listened to that episode. Glad to hear you guys had such a swell trip. But I gotta ask, and you don't have to answer, I was just wondering if you guys were Methodists? Da, 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 da. So this is like the new cipher now. Like, what are you guys? Which I'm just going to say, good luck. Good luck to anyone trying to figure that out, because we haven't figured that out. <laughs> now, I told him that we were not, although we do have some Methodists in the family background. It was close then, he answered back. It matters not, other than the episode made me curious. And of course, you could pose the same question on a Methodist trip. Hey, what's the difference between United Methodists and Free Methodists? And which is better? I thought that would have been funny for you to ask, because that's exactly what I would have done. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Christopher, it probably was what you would have done. Oh, man, it would have been legendary. <laughs> and our final feedbacker of the night, Pat Sampson, wrote in with a related note. I am a member of the Wisconsin's Evangelical Lutheran Synod. Just what we needed, another subset of Lutherans to rank. So we got the ELCA, the WELS, and the LCMS. Probably others. And then probably some others. Uh, that's not the order I'm putting them in, by the way. I was just listing them. I was them. going to say. Pat, I was like, Pat, don't come at me. Don't. That was just off the top of my head. That was nothing in specifically particular there. Don't interpret Pat said, I found this a very interesting episode, hearing about the Luther history and the sites you guys saw. Thanks, everybody, for all of the feedback. Thank you for being patient while we got Ooh. through all of our feedback. Thank you for listening to this episode, which, frankly, we've all been waiting for for like a year. <laughs> 
And yes, thank you. We had a great Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Valentine's. Valentine's was oh. nice. Uh, St. Pat's? Yeah. Mother's Day was, Father's Day was epic. Yeah. And then uh, 4th of July, not too yeah. shabby. Nope, nope. Solidly good. I saw fireworks, which is not a thing I actually normally do. Fingers crossed that this comes out before Labor Day. <laughs> that is our goal. <laughs> We would, of course, love to hear your feedback on Justice League Dark or on any of our past episodes. As We appreciate every bit of feedback, every listen, every download. Thanks for listening. God bless. Take care. May the Force be with you. And also with you. While you're waiting for the next podcast episode... Check out our websites. Darknesstolight.blogspot.com contains reviews, essays, and other similar ramblings. And darknesstolight.tumblr.com, which contains some of that material, as well as top tens, cool photographs, memes, and religious puns. We also run a general interest comic book podcast network, Relatively Geeky. That content can be found at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or by searching iTunes for Relatively Geeky. Let us know what you think of this topic, this episode, or this podcast in general. Feel free to send your thoughts to us at darknesstolight at gmail.com. We would also appreciate any ratings or reviews left for the podcast in the iTunes store to help like-minded people find us. Our intro, outro, and promo music is by Anderson Kale. Check them out at andersonkale.com or search iTunes to purchase their music. Thanks for listening.